something a bit different planned for this uh, episode of Ribbon of Memes. We're going to do it, I don't know if it's possible, no one's ever attempted it before, but we're going to do the whole podcast in one long take. Just completely... Uh, yeah, crazy. You know, You'd need specialised equipment for that. <laughs> uh, like our mouths and our brains. Hello and welcome to episode 80, 83 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other faded stars as masterpieces. Um, I am Nick, the um, uh, the rapidly declining, uh, once famous um, superhero of the podcast, and I am joined as ever by my harried... Uh, producer and sidekick Roger. I think I might be better as the ex-wife. She's the only one. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we will discuss this. We are talking. I've forgotten what year this is. Is this 2013? Uh, 2014 now. 2014 already. Um, and this is um, Alexandro Inaritus. Um, uh, is that right, Alexandro? Inaritu. I think it's Inaritu, but uh... Inaritu. We do apologise. I, I only have about three words of Spanish, and most of them are beer. So, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, I can stretch to beer. This is his um, uh, possible masterpiece, Birdman, or the unexpected virtue of ignorance, um, which uh, which was a. I've wanted to watch Birdman for a while, but I tell you what put me off is that it was one of those much like. Um, uh, uh, what was the silent film we watched? It was one of those that uh, was beloved by the critics. The artist. Um, the artist. Um, and that tends to put me off because it tells me the sort of film it's probably going to be. Um, and my general experience of those sort of films is they're not as good as I was led to believe. Mm. Uh, mm. Certainly, there, there've been several films where, whether it was critics or other people, we heard opinions from when, when a, a bunch of people have raved about something. I think thinking again of District Line, which was not exactly a critical darling, but a lot of people I like said this is yes. great, and in part because of that, maybe I was expecting more than it was willing to give. I think that's it. Though I wonder if it's starting to have the opposite effect now that now I go into these films with very low expectations. <laughs> <laughs> Which may have helped with Birdman. Um, so the, the, the gimmick, and I, I am going to call it a gimmick, honestly, uh, of Birdman is that it is shot apparently in one continuous take over two hours. Um, I mean, that doesn't mean it's a real time film because it does play with time and you see sunsets and sunrises. Basically time accelerates during that take mm. or some bits of it. Um, and a, a character may fall asleep and then will sort of wake up with him rather than stay with him for eight hours while he sleeps. Um, yeah. Yeah, there, there are some there are some bits I really liked. I mean, I will grant that it is a bit of a look at me, aren't I clever? But where we are watching our hero getting ready for an interview and then the camera pans round, and there are the interviewers. Yes, yeah, it's it's it, nicely. It, I mean, it's 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 a transition. It's as much a stylized transition as those gorgeous wipes they used in Flash Gordon. I but think that's my... it, it, it's clear what's going on. So I, I I kind of admired that just for the look. I'm having fun here. Angle of it. I, I suppose that's it. It's not unclear. It's not. Uh, it's not confusing. It is slightly... I mean, the camera is... So there have been films that have done this before. I mean, the film that I am a fan of, which other people haven't been, um, is Rope, which is also mm -hmm. filmed in one apparently continuous... It's a uh, series of cobbled together eight-minute takes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I gather that was a problem in itself because a lot of the actors were just not used to having eight minutes of lines in their heads all at once. Yes, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think it's fair to say film acting and... I mean which is partly what this film is about, um, film acting and stage acting are very different beasts and there's a very different method of acting. Uh, and it's not just having eight minutes of dialogue. And it's not like having a whole play memorised. It's that just the whole style is very different. Mm. Um, but this... Uh, well, this... talking about the whole one-shot thing... Um, yes. I possibly... I know just a little bit too much about video editing. But mm. what... I, I knew that it, that this was the, the big thing about it, and I knew that it had needed special technical measures to make it possible. Um, 
but I found myself thinking every time there is a single frame of film without anything moving in it. Yeah. I mean, that's an edit opportunity. You can just, you can just exactly measure the camera and the lighting and everything else and set it up the next day. This is just right. a standard thing that gets done in films. It's, it's, and so as a result, I felt it was rather wasted on me. I feel that, I mean, I learned, uh, from rope, you know, I mean, rope, uh, you know, the transition are, transitions are, you know, someone will walk in front of the camera and the screen, the, the screen will go momentarily blank. And that's mm-hmm. how, uh, and you know, it, it's, it's seamless, but that's when the changes were here. You know, it, it's entirely possible to sort of recomposite a shot digitally to get the lighting and exact thing exactly right. So, I mean, even in rope, I think people thought, it was a bit of a gimmick, and it's one of Hitchcock's lesser masterpieces, if it is a masterpiece. We haven't discussed it ourselves. Um, but it's certainly... Uh, we'll, we'll come back to it at some point, I suspect. Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, we've never done a Hitchcock, but we sort of came a bit late to him. But um, uh, I've, I mean, the, the difference between Rope and this, there may have been other films that had attempted it, that's just the one I'm aware of, um, is that the camera is not... Stagey. I mean, it is all over the place here. It's uh, because they can't sort of cut to close-ups and and wide shots and mid shots. The camera just moves into them, mm. um, and that uh, is slightly vertiginous. Um, to me, uh, it, I, I ultimately I found it distracting. The, um, the thing for me is, it seemed as though it were hollow because. For me, the, the, the effect of saying this is one long shot is essentially this is one long period of time without the edits, which are, you know, there's no deception here. The, the, it is very obvious that there is time passing. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But that seems to me what the gimmick should be in service of to say, right, this is the whole thing. You know, this is his whole two hours or whatever. It feels to me like that would feel less gimmicky. Yes, I agree. But here it's trying to, well, well, it's it's worth discussing this. Uh, the reason I keep using the word gimmick is because, frankly, that's what it felt to me. Well, it, that's the thing. It, it's not it's not an intrinsic part of the storytelling to me. No. Whereas we just um, we talked not so long ago about the before trilogy, which um, we both uh, slightly guardedly but liked very much. Mm. And they are both that is a film with continuous long takes, and um, certainly in the first two films it's very close to being just that period of time it's not mm. quite so, well so it, the middle one in particular uh, b- the before, middle one uh, is, yeah. is uh, before uh, sunrise sunset. i think uh, before sunset you're right before sunrise is the first one um uh, and so there it felt like it was in the service of the story but it wasn't it wasn't continuous takes it was just continuous time um and he uh uh, I, I suppose my point is that was a film that so you could argue oh maybe this continuous take so we can have long takes and long discussions and see what happens before you would normally cut into a scene and what happens afterwards but the before trilogy did that anyway and it didn't have this kind of swooping camera uh, and I felt more so than the, the transitions which I agree were handled by the time transitions I mean mm were handled quite well. I found the swooping into close-ups and swooping round the character, and you really do get this kind of, oh, are we going to go right up to him and then turn around to face him while he's on stage? And uh, I Weird, Weirdly that. for me, I mean, you, you'd think that if you're following somebody from A to B, you get a, a, a sense of what the, tr- what the uh, layout of the place is like. Re- remembering Alien, um, which yes. very very rarely for a film actually built all the bits of the ship in relation to each other so you would go from A to B in the same way that you would go from A to B on the ship Um, but I never got a sense of the layout of the theatre which I feel I should have yeah, I agree. You you were just sort of pulled around, and because it was quite quick, it, it, it yeah, it reminded me quite a lot of the um, the whole film is like that uh, classic scene in Goodfellas when we get taken around the back with Henry in the Copacabana Club. I can't remember, but you go in the back door with Henry with his new girlfriend, mm. um, and you just get sort of shown around. There, I felt it was, I, and it had a lot of that kind of walking down corridors with people jumping out and saying things, and this is a real, uh, yeah, it was 
I found it distracting. I mean, that's really all I can tell you. I don't know that it added a lot to the story for me. I, th- I think it would have added a lot to a different story. That, that's that's what's irking me. Because, I mean, Inyaritu yeah. knows what he's doing. But I mean, every, yeah. Everybody says he knows what he's doing. And, and there's <laughs> other stuff in here that's jolly good. This is clearly something he's done deliberately. I, I may be missing the point, but I, I don't think it really hooks up with everything else we see here. I, I guess the point, or I, I imagine the point is that it's so you really sort of in with um, Riggan, uh, and we'll talk about. Well, that's the thing. We we don't stay with him. If if we had, I agree. But uh, we we have several scenes which we'll are other go people on talking. Different corridors and follow someone else who's just met someone. Yeah, well, and I don't I don't mind that. But then it it just brings the whole gimmicky nature of it to mm. the fore. I, I just to me it feels like that must have been a total pain in the ass to do. Uh, I, I did read some of the actors felt it gave them kind of an immediacy similar to theatre that they may not have felt on film. Maybe hmm. I mean the performances are good here, but I have seen other films with good performances too. So I don't know that you need that. Um, it may have been fun to do though. I bet it wasn't because someone steps out in the corridor five seconds early. You've got to do the whole take again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, apparently that that was the first thing he came up with, uh, a comedy filmed in a single shot set in a theatre. Yeah, because he, he, he didn't want to make another kind of drama, mm. apparently. He wanted to make a comedy. I mean, this is a, a very broad... <laughs> well, that, then, it, then it shifted into... Well, shall, shall, shall we go on to the other bits that I, yeah, I think do yeah. work better? So that casting that bit aside, which sounds like worked similarly for both of us in that uh, it was it was okay but distracting. We follow the story of Regan Thompson, um, who is an ex Hollywood. Well, he's not an ex Hollywood actor, but he's a, a faded Hollywood star uh, and star. Yeah, I, I think we get the feeling he hasn't done a whole lot recently. No, well, certainly not a lot that people have watched that much. Um, uh, and he, he was pro- probably more of an actor before then. He did the Birdman trilogy um, in a very similar time frame to the Batman, the original Tim Burton Batman trilogy, um, which is relevant because we have Michael Keaton um, hmm. playing Birdman. And Birdman is a, a, a kind of a, a noirish, deep-throated uh, superhero-type character. I mean, it's faintly ridiculous, but then I don't know what isn't faintly ridiculous about Batman, to be honest. So I do. <laughs> well, there, there is one, one, one distinction, which is it is at least strongly implied that Birdman can fly. Uh, yes, and probably is super-powered, I guess. But uh, the film would probably really hate his getting into the, the details <laughs> of Birdman himself. Um, so uh, we follow him attempting to put on a... A play uh, based on a sixty-year-old, six, yeah, sixty-year-old short story at the time of writing, which mm-hmm. is by uh, Raymond uh, Carver. What we do, what we talk about when we talk about love. Yeah, is that right, Raymond yeah. Carver? Um, which is an actual story by an actual person, and they actually had the rights for this story for the film, I believe. Um, and so we follow him uh, during rehearsals and the opening, the the previews, which is kind of again, it wasn't something I was I, I was vaguely aware of it, but wasn't quite. But the the crucial bit is it's kind of a it's for people who it's a week before the show starts. It's for people going in. It's basically like in my language, it's like a beta test <laughs> of the play in that, that you're aware it might be a bit shonky and the dialogue might not be quite right, but you can go in there. I think for cheaper, or I don't know. Yeah, free, I mean, it, it, it is in effect. Well, I, I think it's a combination of of a late full dress rehearsal yeah. and a preview for critics before the official opening night. So there's still time for people to scalp their tickets for opening night. Yes, I yes. mean to buy their tickets. Sorry, opening <laughs> <night>. <laughs> uh, no, I think you're right the first time. Um, so, uh, but what, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, th- I think it's fair to say that Riggan is not a well man. Riggan has some mental health issues, yes. Um, he, um, well, this is where I, I do like the film sort of playing. Uh, this worked better for me. So Riggan is um, a man who hears uh, voices, specifically the voice of his ex-character Birdman. Who's and... who's saying, yeah, go, go back, do, do that Birdman 4 film they want you to do. Yeah. This is the real you. Yeah, you'll pardon me. And I, yeah, you can't just... Um, 
get rid of me. He also hallucinates. Um, uh, well, well, he does. He ha- he imagines he has telekinesis, and it's really unclear to us whether he does or not. He's certainly very sure that he does, and he's surprised he's got this secret power. But there are points in the film where it you know cuts to another character's. Well, it doesn't cut, but it cl- cleverly switches to another character's perspective. In that we'll turn, see someone else coming in, and we'll see that. No, he's not telekinetic. He's smashing the room up. He is just throwing things around. Um, yeah, and I, I don't think he he ever uh, does anything with lasting effects that couldn't be done by non superpowered means. I mean, there is a, so early on in the film we have the awful actor <laughs> who he has hired to be one of the main characters, um, struck by a light. Which competent I, but horrible, I think it would be fair to say. <laughs> competent but horrible um, is uh, struck by a light fitting and um, uh, sent basically uh, removed from the play uh, for medical reasons, which kind of mirrored Riggins' feeling about what he was very much hoping would happen at the time. Mm. Um, oh, it, this, this is this is the less horrible guy. Uh, this is the less horrible guy, because, uh, so Riggan himself, um, as played by Michael Keaton, I mean, Michael Keaton was a competent actor before, uh, Batman, certainly has been a competent actor afterwards. I think it's hard, in some ways, it's distracting that it's Michael Keaton, because, um, I don't think Michael, uh, to me, anyway, I don't know if Michael Keaton's star faded quite in the same way that Riggan's did, or I, I never felt it did. He stopped doing the Batman films, but, I don't feel like uh, that was a huge career mistake, or that he was. Everyone was clamouring for him to do another one. Um, I, I may be wrong. There. I don't think he's been in anything on anything like that scale. Uh, of, of yeah, and he he he's. Um, I, I'm looking through his more recent stuff, and yeah, there, there's stuff there that was not just a joke. I mean, Jackie Brown. Got in '97, got got some good racings, but you know, also Herbie fully loaded in 2005. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. I suppose maybe it was just wasn't my impression of Michael Keaton, and, I, and so what I find myself thinking as we watch Riggins' mental health deteriorate, I, I found it distracting that it was Michael Keaton because you know there's so many parallels with Michael Keaton mm. that you can't help but feel. Is this supposed to be actually saying something about Michael Keaton? Which ultimately doesn't matter, you know. It's a story. Um, sure. But I found it distracting to think about, oh, is this what Michael Keaton's career's done? What's happening? Has he done that? And it then made me want to sort of Google it and find it. And, and I, I knew that wasn't really the point. But in a way, although it, it feels a bit like a, a, a number of parts of this film, almost feels a bit too clever by half, a bit too arch, as the kids might say, mm. just a bit, almost uh, a bit too meta, that I found it distracting. Yeah, Inyarichu in said that um, he didn't have anybody specific in mind when he started writing the script, but by the end of it he, w- he was quite sure he needed Keaton, so... Well, it's fair, I mean, I'm, in no way do I want to... Uh, and not not, not only for the... Not only for the has-been Batman thing, but also yes. because he he's done a whole bunch of different styles. Well, I think that's why he is clearly a very competent actor mm. um, and does a great job here, I think, of showing a man in mental distress who's also trying to um, uh, show everyone else that he isn't in distress and doing a good job of that. He's also mm. not... The temptation would be to make Rigan kind of this arrogant asshole in a way i mean we get that fulfilled by another character Mm. Um, but he's actually quite affable and caring and desperate and i found that a nice combination you know he he is he's not an awful person he has a number of flaws but he's not hateful particularly he's he's um just desperate yeah though i think it's for i mean in spite of the fact that we do sometimes look away from him i think what we are guessing is his own experience um, and yes. yeah, if e- ignoring the the uh, twisted reality thing, if if you know three weeks later he was telling you what a disaster it was and how horrible this had been because everybody else was letting him down, this might yeah. be the way that everybody else got portrayed in the story <laughs> I, he told. I think that's fair, but it isn't uh, exactly a. a, a a kind depiction of himself either you know he is 
struggling with alcohol. Um, he admits mistakes. He's worried that he's making a huge mistake. Um, I did uh, the bit that kind of worked for me almost as a comedy is when he manages to lock himself out um, uh, and has to walk through Times Square in his, his briefs. And it's, mm. held, it's handled in a kind of terrifying way. And oh the, God, It, it felt very much... I think even if I'd been missing what was gone on earlier, this is this is so obviously coded as a nightmare sequence. Yes, yeah, yeah, and it, it feels. Uh, but it, thankfully for me, it doesn't delve into surreal surreality in a way that I find extremely off-putting. Um, it's it's all it's all quite clear that we have got an unreliable narrator i suppose in in some ways although he's not as you say he's not the main protagonist um I, so i liked keaton perfor- keaton's performance very much i mm. found him very watchable um and uh, very enjoyable um we have edward norton as the drafted in um uh i've forgotten his name the extra actor is it um uh, mike shiner mike shiner uh, who is an awful person. He has given some humanising moments too, as well. It's nice, but Mike, he's an awful person in the sense that he, uh, gets drunk on stage, um, uh, and then manages to sort of pass that off as method acting or something. He, he, he basically bluffs his way through it. Then attempts to rape, uh, uh, his co-actor on stage, um, uh, he's a pretty unpleasant character in a lot yeah. of ways, really. Um, but he, and she, and she, she is the uh, person who suggested I mean, that that it, that is her boyfriend, supposedly. Yes, but you know, but you know, you can be raped by uh, no. Still means felt, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it still felt like um, uh, a very uncomfortable scene. Um, yeah. I mean, he, I, I, I did, I'll tell you what, a scene that I really liked with that was the scene where Keaton uh, and Norton, or Riggan and Mike, are batting the script back and forth. Um, and we have the, um, you know, when he's just learning the script right at the beginning. And, and Mike, I think, really does show a, a good, uh, an excellent way to how to improve a performance from how it was before and the way it comes out mm. is much better at the end of the scene. So I did, I really enjoyed that kind of the craft of acting and how to, how to get through it. I did enjoy those moments. Yeah, I think it, it's doing a good job of showing, yeah, this, this guy is competent and he is an asshole. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. And you have to decide whether the feeling that the set will have simply as his, from his being involved in it is is worth the performance you're going to get out of him. And we certainly have Regan goes back and forth on that. <laughs> well, the film. Uh, con- consider for a moment the good place. Oh yes, yes. Um, where the producer took the really revolutionary step of saying, "Right, I don't want any assholes working on this on this show." <laughs> Nobody had ever done that before. <laughs> That's depressing that that, that was a thing that uh, everybody involved has been saying how great it was and how it's just never going to happen again. <laughs> that there wasn't an asshole cause. Yeah, that is, that's depressing. Um, it's, it's a good scene. And then we do get some quieter moments with him with, uh, with Riggan's daughter. Is that Sam? I Sam, yeah. Sam. Emma Stone. Um, uh, where he kind of confesses it's a lot of it's a front and he doesn't feel all that confident. I mean, none of it kind of excuses his bad, but it, it's nice to see that he gets some moments of less assholery too. Not many of them. But he yeah, does. well, I, I think it's interesting when, when he's talking uh, with his ex-wife is that uh, Sylvia, uh, yeah, Amy Ryan. Um, yes. Never going to complain about Amy Ryan being in a film. To be well, honest. yeah. But you know, he he's saying, oh, "What? Why? Why? Why did we break up anyway?" And she says, "Well, because of this and that, yes. and that and that thing." Yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe it's got a bit hazy for him, but not so much for her. Yeah, well, we have so we have um, the female characters, and there are a number of female characters. We may even have another, and it's probably been a while. We um, uh, Bechdel test beta. There's, I can certainly recall at least one scene where uh, the characters are talking about each other, though. It's in some way because they've been in, upset by a guy, mm. um, uh, and does go 
slightly lesbian um well it, it, it ends with a lesbian kiss which is, i suppose is disappointing um uh in that that's the way they, uh, i don't know if that's the one scene where two women are talking to each other that's, that seems to be a disappointing way for it to end up um that, but we do have some uh female characters here we have sam uh the always uh watchable and generally very good emma stone we've uh, got some great actors here yeah. Um, well, this is, this is one of the advantages of a director who is known for being a bit arty and just not doing the same old thing. You get a whole bunch of actors who want to work with them. And many well, of them are jolly of, good. I don't want to distract from talking about sort of the act, uh, the female actors here, but uh, this is does seem to be one of the themes of the uh, the story, which I'd like to come back to, which is like high art versus pop culture and what's more worthy and what's more creative. Mm-hmm. Um, because we may have some opinions, having discussed, you know, both on this podcast before. So I'd like. Well, to... I, I think that may may speak to what this podcast is about, really. I mean, we we are trying to expand our our um, filmmaker horizons, and I'm certainly yes. enjoying a wider range of things than I did when we started. But you know, yes. the, I'm, I'm, the 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 simple stuff ain't nothing. I think. Well, that's what I wanted. Um... I yeah, we, distra- we did distract from Emma Stone. We'll come back to Emma Stone there, but I, I think um, I uh, it's something the characters here wrestle. You know, the main Riggan's main motivation is I don't just want to be that popular. You know, there's a, there's that feeling that populism. In fact, it may even be a line in the film. Populism is the popularity is the dirty uh, 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 stepchild of. Um, uh, purity. I'm going to have to. <laughs> well, just, uh... certainly, I, th- I think we've we've seen that a lot looking through the uh, Academy Awards, and they they would much rather you know, no, no spoilers. They would much rather award something like this that that is trying to be a bit arty and a bit clever than yes. a crowd pleaser. Here we go. I found the quote: "Popularity is the slutty little cousin of prestige," um, which is, uh, as Mike says, um, yes, exactly. And uh, there's a kind of a, but then. As Sam points out, you know, you're doing this and you think it's very worthy, but what, you're doing it for a thousand white people who, you, you know, it's... it's uh, There's an element of, just because it's a play and it's shouted and done on stage uh, and isn't about explosions, it doesn't automatically make it less profound, more profound, mm. more worthy. Uh, and um, I, I don't know if that's... They, these I are. Think, I mean, apart from Reagan, I don't think these are particularly deep characters. They have the one thing that is their thing. So, well, so, so we we did skip over uh, Emma Stone, but very watchable and very interesting though she is. She is. She's not a particularly uh, well drawn um, early twenties. She's either late teens or early twenties um, kid, basically, who has all the younger people's attitudes and shock looks at Twitter. And Instagram, <laughs> um, when the older people don't, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you're right. I, I think like, yes, Lindsay, um, Lindsay Duncan as the critic is not a terribly imaginative character. You know, if you came up with a film, if someone said, come up with a film critic. Well, there's um, a critic. Because uh, if, if you say come up with a, with a film critic, I'll say Pauline Kael, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wondered if it was a slight kind of... Um, but I, but... I, I think there are theatre critics with that kind of reputation, at least. Yes, yeah, exactly. She certainly didn't seem terribly amazing. I think that is a very good point, that we do sometimes move away to the other characters, but um, Regan is the only one really with any kind of depth of motive or character. Um and, and one of his main motives is to do something meaningful, to do something that means something. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you had a sense of the film's attitude to this kind of uh, a, a distance between popularity and prestige, if we use the film's own words. Did you get a sense of where it lay, or was it trying to show both equally? Well, I mean, is is the uh... The, the play is a financial success. Yes. At the cost of, well, it's not, not, well, yeah, is, is that really a serious cost? Cause they can rebuild those these days. Uh, <laughs> um, but the, I think it would be fair to say 
that the play is is a success because of the gimmick. Yeah, because holy crap, because this is the guy. Where, this is the play where the guy blew his own nose off in the, on opening night. He shot himself. Yes. Um, yeah. And on that basis, it would be a failure, bec- um, as far as Riggin is concerned, because they're not coming for the art. They're coming because it's that play where the guy shot his, blew his Did nose you off. You hear that guy who used to be Birdman went crazy and shot himself on stage. Yeah. Uh, and it's I I I mean I, my my personal feeling on that is that there is a certain type of person, and I'm not immune to this. Um, that popular equals bad. You know, if something that you like becomes popular, hmm. you kind of slightly resent it because you're like, well, I liked it first, and that's not yeah. fair. Yeah, and, and um, particularly what, in, in my case, when, when there's been a book that I enjoyed and it gets made into a film and people are going, oh, this film, this film, this film, therefore, for example, The Lord of the Rings is great. Uh, they've yeah. never actually read it, and they're talking about the stuff in the film, which is not the same thing. And now, now it is difficult for me to talk about the thing I like. Because everybody assumes I'm going to be talking about the film. Yes, and I think that applies to a lot of areas of life, like uh, craft beer, for instance. You know, and I think you've argued quite well. You're not you're not particularly anti craft beer, but it makes it harder for you to find beer that you like because everyone's doing trendy IPAs all the time now. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's uh, that works well for me, so I'm going to politely ignore that because I do like trendy, awful IPAs. They're not awful, but um, well, some of them have been. But there is an there is a sort of opinion, more so perhaps in high culture, uh, that popularity equals bad. And hmm. I, uh, having watched, and yeah, it, I, the reason I wanted to discuss it, you're right, is that it does touch on what we've talked about with this podcast, um, and one of the reasons we do the podcast. And I, I have to say, for me, I have generally reached or more or less stayed at the conclusion <laughs> that there's nothing particularly low about low culture or popular stuff. That the the stuff that I like that is genuinely really good mm. uh genre I I guess I'm talking about genre stuff, I have found more enjoyable and in many ways more profound than um than so called uh I mean you don't really have literary Films, but that kind of level of uh, uh, high art film. I, I've certainly enjoyed some, but most of them that I've enjoyed uh, has been sort of despite their literary pretensions. Um, and well, we, 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 we've done done a few what one might call serious films on this yes. show, possibly not as many as we originally intended to. <laughs> um, but yeah, some of them I have very much liked. So yeah, yeah, but. I, I think I, I am. Not as much as aliens though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, l- like you, I am very sensitive to what feels like being, being clever for its own sake. Yes. Uh, cause coming, come, frankly, coming up with a gimmick is relatively easy. Coming up with a gimmick and making it a crucial part of your story is the thing that impresses me. Yes, and I think a lot of we're we're also particularly sensitive, which doesn't really happen here. We're also particularly sensitive to when high art kind of tries to reach down to someone who's been a literary writer thinks I've got a great idea for um, (laughs) well, I won't call it science fiction uh, because it's not science fiction. Yeah, it it doesn't have exploding spaceships. (laughs) (laughs) And they write stuff that has been written, you know, fifty years before, (laughs) or Mm. explored a theme that has been explored to death half a decade before, or, sorry, half a century before. That's uh Though some of us is simply because that's how long it takes to, for the, the kid who loved it as a teenager to get into a position to make it into a film. So, <laughs> But I, I like that the film kind of stimulates these sorts of discussions. I got the impression that this film kind of veers more towards the, oh, isn't these superior films awful? And I, I, that is not necessarily a view I disagree with um, but uh, but it sort of took the high art view slightly but I think the fact that it wasn't entirely clear um, and we're still not entirely sure it means that it was a sort of a fair argument there, there is more to unpack in this yes I mean I'm, I may well not not immediately but you know maybe in a few years time I will probably watch it again yeah and see how I come on it differently um I, I, I could see, uh, the theatre critic. I, I think the, what you're supposed to think is, well, you know, she, she is a horrible person. She's already decided 
Yes. On yeah. the other hand, I think she's also the hero of the whole thing. Uh, explain. Because she, she, she is trying to be serious about, no, this, this, this theatre, this community of theatre that I love, that I live in. Yes. It's not for you to parachute in, do your thing and go away again feeling better that you're a serious artist now. I mean, I have some sympathy with that view. It also feels slightly um, exclusionary um, to me, you know, a little bit like what happens with Dungeons and Dragons and things, you know, that well, we, we've been doing this for years. You don't get to just come in and do your... Uh, mm, but but your, there's your, also, you know, who would have been renting the theatre if it hadn't been for that? Yes. Um I mean, uh, there's more to this film. I, just, I found that an interesting point to, to go down. It's also, which is another point, because I am just fresh off Alan Moore's excellent uh, short story collection, uh, Illuminations, yeah. the bulk of which is a, uh, a long novella, uh, 200 pages or so, um, uh, so novella slash novel, I think, um, called What, uh, What We Can Know About Thunderman, which is basically Alan Moore's thinly veiled excoriation of the entire comics industry that, that he was involved mm-hmm. with. Um, now this isn't that, um, but it does, uh, it does have things to say about, so Alan Moore's kind of central thesis, uh, uh in what, what can we know about Thunderman is that comic books, and I think he's perhaps getting a bit far, but comic books are not just infantile. Uh, and he doesn't mean that in a bad way, uh, in the sense that they were originally for kids. And now, you know, actual children don't really read comics now. They're read by 40, 50-year-olds um, who read them when they were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but his sort of thesis is they're not just infantile, but they're infantilizing. Infantilizing, yeah. Infantilizing, thank you. In, the, in that they, uh, they kind of lower debate and culture. I mean, he ends up winding it. What if you could uh, solve crime by punching it in the face? Well, yeah, it's it's a very kind of his argument, it's a very American thing, Uh, you know it's no coincidence a lot of these super. in fact, one of his arguments is these are all the things superheroes are all the things that Americans can't be, they um, uh, they can't be vigilantes, they can't uh, fight crime, they don't have superpowers, they, superheroes have a strong moral compass, which, you know, in today's world is not necessarily um, as easy. Um, uh, so he comes across as, uh, I mean, he's a um, grumpy old man and very much acknowledges it, but he comes across as very, uh, he wraps it up with, uh, you know, basically being the cause of Donald Trump being elected. <laughs> um because people want easy solutions and, you know, he's called the Don and Donald and Trump, and uh, which which isn't what this film is doing. But partly I was interested because I knew this was sort of a... Well, I thought this would maybe be a, more of a commentary on superheroes, this film. That's turned out my whole Alan Moore thing more of a segue, really, because, to be honest, it doesn't really... It's not really talking about superheroes so much as popular films, which I think we've already covered. Yeah, I mean, um, apart from the specific nature of the voice in Riggan's head and one of the dream sequences, which I think, uh, at the point where he, he is just drifting away and flying around the city, I, yeah. I think I think we can... It, it's not stated, but I think we could reasonably assume that, that that is the sort of thing Birdman would have done. Yes, I think you get the idea of the kind of... I, but but apart from that, it really isn't about the Birdman experience at all. It's just, no, he, he, thought, he, he was a guy, he's still a name in Hollywood, but that's on the other coast 3,000 miles away. It would have worked if it... In fact, um, uh, this was one of the proposed endings. I was about to say, this would have worked if it was um, uh, Johnny Depp and it was his Pirates of the Caribbean thing. Um and, he, uh, and in fact, that was a proposed ending of the film that actually Regan succeeds in shooting himself. And then we go back to the theatre, and we have Johnny Depp sitting in front of the um, sitting in front of the mirror, mm-hmm. putting on the the Regan wig um, yeah. and a po- poster of um, Captain Jack Sparrow in the background, like saying, "What are we doing here, then, mate?" And it's just kind of a very cyclical thing mm. that um, uh, which I personally would probably have preferred rather than the ending we got um how did you feel because we we've danced around a, a lot of the topics now and i agree it wasn't really uh, a superhero discussion at all the around. the way i end up seeing this is really as a portrait of riggan's mental disintegration more than anything yes. else 
I think so. We didn't. Uh, yes, uh, there, there are other things it discusses, but that was this reminded me of another scene that worked very well for me. So right after that dream sequence where he's flying around the city, and he kind of flies through the doors of the theatre. And then he's followed by a taxi driver saying, you didn't pay, you didn't pay, mm-hmm. which I really, I really liked. It's just a kind of seamless meshing of reality and dream uh, in a way that I might have thought I would hate, but I didn't. I quite liked it. Um, yeah, um, we, we should probably talk about uh, Zach Galifianakis as well. Uh, because yes. at this point, and I, I think he, he's, he's generally known for you know, the com- comedies like The Hangover, which was yeah. the one that really... Uh, brought brought into public attention. I mean, to to me, I don't know. I I, th- I think he's meant to be the comical fat man, bit of a nerd, the sort of role he usually plays. To me, he's yeah. always come over as on the edge of going into a racist rant. I don't mean that he. I don't mean that he is. No, I mean like... that that's what the characters feel like to me. Like the sort of person who could <laughs> suddenly be, oh, uh, like like um, Sobchak. In, in, yes, uh, I was about to say he's very like, and part of the reason uh, you didn't find Walter uh, from a uh, multi-subject from the Big Lebowski. Yeah, and part of the reason you didn't find him so funny is that you've met people like him, and it's not that much fun to be in their company. Um, I mean, Galifianakis may well be a, a great guy, and I know nothing about him. Yeah, yes, so. exactly. But he does feel like the sort of, and that seems to be the stick. Right? That this guy is so on the edge. Yes, um, uh, I mean, I've only seen him in The Hangover, I believe. Um, uh, and there, he's a bit. His character's a bit to me, like Robin Williams. I just don't particularly enjoy that shtick. Mm. But but I think I think he does. does he does get out of that a bit. I mean, he, here he's yeah. I mean, yes, he's still the fat man who's on the edge of being angry, but he's got a job to do. So damn it, he's going to do it, and he's going to keep this yeah. guy sweet, whatever it takes. Well, he certainly doesn't seem, as you say, his other characters are on the edge of something, and it's probably going to be an awful rant about something. He he is on the edge, he's under a huge amount of pressure, but he stays professional, Mm. and you you don't get the impression he's about to crack. And if he did, that would have been an interesting scene, because he doesn't give that impression. But yes, it's a very different type of character, much more, I suppose you could say, understated, which, compared to his other characters... It is. Yeah, I, I thought he was um, a very fun here. And I, I like that interplay of the the relationship between Riggan and his best friend slash producer slash lawyer um, in that they are clearly friends and they've got respect for each other mm. um, and they both know that the other is capable of great things. Um, they, but that relationship is under a huge amount of strain because of where they are and what's happening and there's a lot of tension in it. Um, I liked that actually. I thought that worked quite well for me too. Yeah, it, it's it's something. There there are lots of little niggles as we've been talking about, yes. but but there are lots of things that really do work. And I I've, I, I am not a uh, filmmaker. I, I don't know whether these things inevitably go together or whether it would have been possible to get rid of the niggles and still make the good stuff. It yeah. does feel slightly like. I imagine it was more beloved of critics and actors and actresses because they recognise a lot in it about their daily lives and their daily work um, in a way that a lot of the audiences probably don't. Um, I mean, specifically yeah. about I've worked with this actor and I've worked with that. I've been under this pressure. God, yeah, we've had to try and replace an actor. And I can see that mm. making it much more... I've had a critic say that to me, or I've said that to an actor, or, oh, God, no, I used to know a critic. Like I, It felt like there were a lot of touchstones. That oh, were I, very... I've had to mortgage the house that Jaws 3 paid for, or whatever, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, but, it dis- and I, I do, I kind of like that. I kind of like that it felt real in that way, and that I, you could see a, a peek behind the curtain, if you like, Um And particularly I, the whole typecasting thing. Well, not, not so much typecasting as pigeonholing, I think. Yeah, I think that's a, a, probably a better way of put, um, a better way of putting it. Um, and then, so at the end of the film, um, he shot his nose off, um, and then we find him in a hospital bed. And it's it's slightly weird. Uh, that was a bit jarring for me because the time frame didn't make a lot of sense. In that it seemed to be he's just getting the first reviews in, and he's had his nose stitched on. And it looks, it doesn't look like someone's repeatedly hit him in the face with a baseball bat. Mm, which but, would take at least a week or two. 
yeah, and so I, I couldn't quite work out where we were supposed to be in the timeline here. It felt very much like that was the opening night review mm. that had, that comes in. So I found that sort of took me out of it a bit. Um, Are you going to blow your nose off every night? <laughs> <laughs> At least let us get a detachable one in that case. Um, yeah, I found the critics kind of... I found that also slightly... I don't know, twee or unbelievable a bit fairy story there. Oh, it turns out she liked it when he actually shot his nose off. Uh, 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 well, this is where the title comes in, because this is the title of her um, her review, is The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, which I guess she's saying he knows so little about theatre that he can come in and, and completely destroy it with a totally different approach. <laughs> yeah, I found that a bit too neat, almost... This is an ending that they came up with halfway through shooting, and I felt it shows a bit because it doesn't. Yeah, but well, also the the actual um, last shots. um, His daughter comes into into the hospital room. He's not there. She looks down because she knows he's been at risk of suicide, and then she looks up and smiles. I hate. I'm sorry that. I mean, there is an obvious thing that you're supposed to think, and then that's an obviously stupid thing, so you're supposed to think something else. And it, 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 again, it's it's a bit, for my taste, it's a bit too plain with the audience, but yeah. it's a, Well, for me, it was like, again, one of those two clever by half. Oh, I don't mind ambiguous endings. Don't get me wrong, I like the ending to the birds uh, as much as, <laughs> as any person. But that... Yeah, it was a bit too much. Oh, has he got sick? Oh no, he hasn't. Oh, is she happy that he? Uh, oh, maybe she feels. I just, I just hated the because it felt like what it felt like to me was. Oh, we don't know how to end it, so let's just throw any old shit at the audience. <laughs> they can work it out. That's how it felt to me. They can work. We'll, we'll seem enigmatic, but actually, we don't know how to end this film. That's how it felt to me. And I, I really yeah. spoiled it. I would have much preferred the the Johnny Depp ending, the kind of he actually shot himself. Then we have you know another and it all cycles thing. back again. Yeah, I I prefer that kind of feeling. I, he ended up uh, the director ended up disliking that idea and, and coming up with something else. But I would have preferred the original. Uh, but I think he thought that was too neat. <laughs> I don't know what he thought, but I just I didn't like it. Yeah, what one. Uh... Thing, thing I rather liked. Uh, the, the cinematographer, uh, it was, uh, yeah, Emmanuel Lubeshki. Um, it's the same guy who worked on Gravity, we recently talked about. Oh, really? And for the flight sequence, he actually used the same system of LED panels and a, and a dark backdrop. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, very good. Uh, that has reminded us one thing we haven't talked about, which I've been very good at not talking about. Yeah. The soundtrack. Which is pretty much entirely jazz drumming. Um, didn't work for me. That's all against personal taste, but that would possibly have been my least possible favourite choice of soundtrack. Um, and I didn't like it. Yeah, it, it didn't distract me, but it also didn't, for me, really set a mood. Maybe they were going for that kind of improv, jazzy kind of chaotic I just anyway I'll, I'll leave it there because I don't have anything critical to say about it but fucking hell I hated it anyway <laughs> there we are overall um, uh, overall what did you think of um, Birdman masterpiece or not Ooh, I don't hmm, I don't think so it, it's got some excellent and really interesting elements to it but it it doesn't quite come together into a whole for me. Yeah, I think that's how I feel. I found the story interesting. I found Regan an interesting character. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed watching it. I'm glad I did watch it, but uh, it's not something that's particularly stayed with me. It didn't particularly resonate with me, and I, uh, I, I've preferred other films more. So n- nothing wrong with it. Uh, I, a very good film, but I, I think not a not a masterpiece. I think um, I, I would like to quote friend of the show Marianne Johansson, uh, who when this got its um, best picture and so on. Yes, the Academy, the people, the most Hollywood that people can be, have officially spoken, and what they have said is, "We hate superhero movies. 
We hate the fans who make superhero movies huge, but we love your money, so thanks for that. <laughs> That's, um, well, yeah, I'm not sure I entirely agree, because I don't think it was so much about superhero films. I, I think the film is trying to be a bit more than that, but I mean, as we've said, there is definitely that tension between the mass market and the arty stuff. Yes, and I feel it takes the more artists... And, that you know, this is from someone who's managed to get almost mass-market appeal by doing a lot of arty stuff. Um, so that's good for him. Um, the only <laughs> other film I've seen of his is um, 21 Grams, which I remember almost nothing about. Um, <laughs> so that, that was really... I would like to see Amoros Perez, which I'm supposed, is supposed to be very good. So, so sometime when you're in too, too good a mood and need to be brought down a bit. Do you know what? I think I have seen Amoris Paris. That's the one with dogfight again. Uh, um, yeah, I believe so. Oh, yeah. I, I, nothing wrong with the film. I just find it so personally distasteful that I struggle to get through it. Um, uh, I heard some quite positive things about The Revenant as well. Oh, I've heard some pretty negative things about it. Well, Fair it just enough. is it's kind of a bit of a sadistic. I, 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 I should say, I, I just, I've heard that it's quite a grueling few hours to spend. Depends how much you want to watch Leonardo DiCaprio get through some very horrible things happen to him. Well, I've, I've never been a great fan of his, so... I, 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 <laughs> I don't particularly dislike Leonardo DiCaprio, so I, um, I wouldn't like to see him being tortured for two hours, but then I just not my taste of film. Anyway, we don't know, we haven't seen it. Well, there we are, I think that about covers it for Birdman. Only remains for me to say, caca. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,